You notice I don't bound up the stairs like I used to. <laughs> well, this is an interesting time of year in which uh, folks are traveling. We are fortunate to have been able to see our basic group go to Houston. They're on their way back now, and we're eager to hear reports of what they uh, might be able to give us about their experience. We're also glad uh, we have folks travel our way, the Prices and Susan Hanna. We're so thankful you're here today. But you know what? I'm thankful that uh, Abby Hollinger's here. Uh, and not just that she's here, but her cello is here. <laughs> uh, cello has such a beautiful voice, doesn't it? And uh, it's a joy anytime, sister. And of course, last Sunday you displayed your vocal skills too, and we were happy for that. One month ago, we spoke on the topic of unseen realities. And we discussed the role of uh, faith in the unseen world. For example, in 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter said, you know, even though you do not see Jesus, you love him. Even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. We talked about angels and their role in our lives, demons and so on. This morning we want to present the other side of that coin and talk about the spiritual element in seen realities. Easy as it is easy to forget the fact that we're surrounded by these unseen spiritual beings all the time, it's also very easy to forget that the things that we see with our eyes, the things that we sense with our touch, our smell, the things we hear, that in all of these physical entities, there also are spiritual elements, blessings of God, things that the Lord uses at times to mold us, occasions of rejoicing, and even displaying His presence. And so that's what we want to talk about this morning. There is more to this physical world than meets the eye. And this is such a broad subject. <laughs> that we have to limit our scope. And so this morning, we're only going to look at three particular elements. First, let's consider the physical universe. David wrote in Psalm 91, the heavens are declaring the, the glory of God. Their expanse is declaring the work of His hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out to all the earth and their utterances to the end of the world. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> he said, you know, uh, their expanse declares the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech. Their, their, their utterances to the end of the world. But he said, uh, there is no speech, <laughs> we really don't hear anything, and yet these things speak to us, don't they? Speak to us very clearly when we look through the eyes of faith. To the day I die, and possibly even before then, I will never forget an experience I had in August of 1947. I was on a mesa in New Mexico all by myself, and I've tried to remember how I got up there. 
I don't know if I climbed it alone, if others climbed that mountain with me, but what I do remember is I was alone on that mesa at night. And I was not dressed to do pirouettes and ballet exercises. I had on surplus World War II combat boots. And yet that night as I stood on that mesa and began to look at the heavens, not only what was above me, but from that vantage point, I could see all the way to the horizon. And that black velvet sky with the sparkling diamonds, as it were, so enthralled me. And I began to think of the greatness of this God. And I was caught up in ecstasy, and I was doing pirouettes and things that I know ballet dancers would be jealous of. (laughs) I could not stop. I was just so overwhelmed with the glory of God. The heavens spoke of the glory of our Lord. I had a similar thing some years later. I was at Greenleaf State Park, and I can remember at night on the bluff looking down into Greenleaf Lake. And it was a brilliant moonlit night, and I I went there to pray. But as I began praying, I was so caught up in the glory of this marvelous thing that God has created, I began to sing, and I felt that my voice was blending with angels as this heaven declared the glory of God. I heard no voice, I heard no words, but it spoke to me. You know, Dave and you folks in the Navy, I can't imagine what it must be like to be at sea on a ship at night, (laughs) especially if you had been on an old sailing vessel with no lights and the heavens and as far as you can look in every direction to the horizon, the beautiful heavens of God. No voice, no words, and yet they speak. Now you who have known me for several years know that as a teenager, it was my hope to someday either be a chemist or an astronomer, (laughs) two totally different disciplines. But that wasn't God's will. I did spend some time working in a laboratory for Rusco Chemical Company, But as a teenager, I spent one summer mapping the constellations and as they moved week by week. You know, astronomy, interestingly, is a discipline known for atheism. Most astronomers are atheists. I'm not, (laughs) and I'm not an astronomer. But you know, I urge astronomers on, please explore, please study, please learn everything you can, and please report it, (laughs) because the more you learn and the more you report, the more I see in both macro and micro ways the magnificence of our God who made all of this as we look through the eyes of faith at seen reality and within our hearts 
experience the spiritual dimension. You know, it's more than just astronomy in the skies. Several times in recent weeks, Romans 1, 18 to 20 has been recited from this pulpit. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God has made it evident to them for since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made. So they are without excuse. A couple of weeks ago, as Jeff both and I sat at breakfast discussing a trip he was getting ready to make to Colorado, we both began to talk about the really the spiritual experience that was ours as we went to Colorado. Keep talking, okay. Oh, that one, this one isn't working. Do you really need a microphone to hear me? <laughs> Let me say this by way of interest. Until I came to TCF, I'd never used a microphone, and it was hard for me to get used to one, and my wife used to complain I was too loud, but now I'm used to it. <laughs> but as we talked about that, both of us began to discuss what it was like to be in the mountains of Colorado. You know, Barb and I used to mountain climb, and you go where most people don't go, and you get the tundra, and then the boulder fields, and you have the world all to yourself. And as Jeff and I discussed this, we began to talk about the impact each of us felt as we were in that environment. And at times, fossils on top of mountains displaying the truth of the Genesis flood in which the fountains of the deep came forth and became mountains, and the mountains were depressed. And so today, we have fossils on top of mountains. And then you look at the boulders, my, the tremendous upheaval that must have taken place during the time of that flood. The power of God. The power of God. You know, I had nothing to do with this. But doesn't that impress you? <laughs> How our God has designed even our weather and lightning. You know, as I think about these things, I recall the song we used to sing when I was a child in Sunday school. This is my Father's world, and to my listening ear all nature sings, and round me rings the music of the spheres. This is my Father's world. I rest me in the thought of rocks and trees and skies and seas. His hand, the wonders wrought. This is my father's world. The birds are carol rays, the morning light, the lily white declares their maker's praise. This is my 
Father's world. He shines in all that's fair in the rustling grass I hear him pass. He speaks to me everywhere. <laughs> Isn't that true? When we view this tremendous creation both in macro and micro levels through the eyes of faith, we see God. All nature sings and round me rings the music of the fear. Another important spiritual element in physical form is our bodies. Think about that. Last Monday as Sue Wright and Heather and Sarah and I sat together in the waiting room while Gordon was undergoing the procedures, we began to talk about the human body and Sue said, you know, she had heard faith, word of faith teachers talk about the fact that we are a spirit that inhabits a body and our body is no more than, well, a milk carton, <laughs> having no worth that can easily be discarded. Now there's a piece of truth in that. As Paul wrote to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5, we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. Inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. For indeed while we are in this tent... We groan being burdened because we do not want to be unclothed but to be clothed. But what is mortal will be swallowed up in life. So there is a degree of truth in that. But that's not the whole truth. Even though this mortal body that our spirit inhabits is temporary... Because at death our spirit leaves the body behind and we do look to that immortal life which will be ours, that immortal body that God will give us. Still, this body that our spirit inhabits is more than just a neutral shell. As a Christian, as long as I am in this earthly life, this body of mine is holy because it is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says the two shall become one flesh. The one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. 
Therefore glorify God in your body. Gnosticism was in its embryonic form when Jesus Christ was upon the earth and it flourished and began to grow even in the days after Pentecost. There were two forms of Gnosticism, but at the root of both of them was the idea that everything spiritual is good and everything that is physical is evil. And our spirits, therefore, are holy and our bodies are not holy. And therefore, the best thing we can do is to destroy our bodies. The Epicurean Gnostics said the way to destroy it was through dissipation, through debauchery, drinking, carousing, illicit sex. And that doesn't really affect who we are because our bodies is not who we are. It doesn't touch our spirits. The other group were ascetics and they said the way to destroy the body is to deprive it, do a lot of fasting, uh, wear uncomfortable clothing. <laughs> Martin Luther described seeing a prince who was 18 years old. As I recall, he said he looked like he was 80 and so he was a holy man because he had so mistreated his body to kill it in order that his spirit could be free of the body. Paul said, Gnostics, you're wrong. <laughs> you're wrong. This body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. It's not just a neutral shell. We've mentioned before that there are two Greek words translated temple. Hieron is the word that speaks of the temporal environs, you know, the general building, the grounds, and so on. But the other word is naos. And naos refers to that very sacred, holy part of the temple where God dwells. It was the holy of holies in the Jewish temple where the Ark of the Covenant rested. That's the word that is used for our body. Holy because it is inhabited by the Holy Spirit. In this context we can say that sex between a husband and wife. Need we say male husband and female wife. Sex between a husband and wife is a sacred act that glorifies God. Any other form is a horrible blasphemy because the body which is the holy temple of God, the temple of the Holy Spirit, is being used for sin. Now sometimes people take this truth and start inferring and extrapolating and going all kinds of directions. For example, if my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, then I should never have surgery because that's cutting on God's temple. Or I should never have the body embalmed or I should never have the body cremated. Those kinds of thoughts are going far beyond what Paul is saying. What Paul is saying is use the living body in a way that glorifies God. 
And once my spirit is gone, I suppose it is like a milk carton that's empty. <laughs> but it sure is more than that. Why my spirit and the spirit of Jesus is within it. A third thing in this realm of thinking about the spiritual element of seen reality is this. Our Lord who made us as spiritual slash physical beings realizing that we need as humans a physical means of expressing our worth a physical means of expressing our faith and even a physical means to instruct and mold us has given ordinances to the church for that purpose. In the Old Testament, Paul, remember Paul in Galatians said the Old Testament was a schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. And so in the Old Testament or that schoolmaster, there were many things. First of all, the, the kind of clothes the priest wore, his holy garments. When the people saw that, they were impressed. This man is different. He is set apart. The laver where cleansing took place. The, the altar where sacrifices were made. The smell of burning flesh as Sacrifices were made to God. Incense. The temple. Seeing. Sensing. All of these things were physical means. That, that which touched the senses. To help mold and teach. And impress truths. Tithing. Emphasizing that everything is God's. Uh, let me just take an aside here and talk about tithing. And you know, we rarely ever talk about money at TCF. Yeah, Bill and I were just talking about that. Probably the last time we've ever preached about money is Bill did it. And of course, as a church administrator, it's appropriate for Bill to do that. <laughs> but let me talk about tithing. I disagree with those who say that tithing is a law in the New Testament church. However, <laughs> it's even more for us who are followers of Jesus. First, let me say I'm a tither. I've been a tither since I was 10 years old and used to, and as a boy, I'd get 25 cents for mowing the lawn, and that was the going rate back then. <laughs> and I couldn't figure out how to tithe two and a half cents. So I tied the nickel, a double tie. So I've been a tither all my life. And I say that boastfully only to say I'm not presenting theory today. I'm presenting 72 years of experience. <laughs> I'm 82 and I've been doing this since I was 10. When I came to Jesus, the song we sang today, All to Jesus I Surrender, All to Him I Freely Give. Glad you sang that song today. That's it. I belong to Him. And everything that is attached to me belongs to Him. I don't have any money. There's a bank account with my name on it, but it's really His. It's just in this world, my name's on it. I have a house uh, near 81st and Harvard in downtown. There's a sheet of paper with my name on it for that piece of property, but it isn't mine, it's his. I don't own anything. 
Because I'm a slave of Jesus Christ and my master owns everything that is within the realm of this slave's oversight. So what does God want me to do with his money? Since he hasn't given me a law. Well, I'll tell you what. Here's how I have answered that. I have searched the scripture for God's budget plan. (laughs) And the only budget plan I can find is this. God says, it's all mine. Reach into the cash drawer and take out 90%, but leave 10. (laughs) And that's the way I view it. Take out 90. Isn't that generous? <laughs> Reach into the cash drawer and take out 10%, but leave 10. And I know this church probably, I would venture to say almost everybody in this church lives that way. Tithing, although we haven't strongly taught it, is practiced, I think, by most families in this church. And to me, it's not giving, it's taking. That's all I can do from God is take. And so I take 90%. And then some of that I give for missions and, and so on. And oh, years ago, before most of us wrote checks, we had envelopes. And so you'd take these dollar bills, and it was a, a sacred act of worship to put those dollar bills and put it in that envelope. (laughs) And I feel the same way today when I write that check and sign it. Sitting at my desk, it's not just when I put it in the offering plate, but sit at my desk, I write the check and sign it. What a privilege that God gives me this physical means of declaring that he owns everything, and I am his steward. Under the new covenant, we do not have a temple, we do not have an ark, we do not have a physical altar. But our Lord has given us two ordinances. First is immersion. And this is the consistent pattern in the book of Acts that when someone accepts Jesus Christ, the first thing he does is he is immersed. Romans 6 presents that so beautifully. We are buried with him. And then we are raised to walk in newness of life. When you step into the baptistry or a lake or a stream or as Dave Troutman would say in China in a bathtub where they immerse converts. You surrender yourself into the hands of somebody else like a dead body. And you are buried. You stop breathing. You feel the water cover you. And you're dead. And then you come out of that water again, helpless in the hands of the one who's baptizing you. And you breathe. And you're alive again, but not again 
It's a different person that's alive. Before, according to Romans 6, you were powerless to resist sin. But after you have died and been buried and resurrected from that watery grave by the Holy Spirit, you now have the power to say no to sin. You won't do it perfectly, but you're empowered in a way that you were not before. Our Lord knows that we are physical creatures, and so he has given us this physical means of experiencing death and the new birth. And then the Lord's table. From the very beginning, every Sunday, the church took the Lord's Supper. And as we read what writings we have from that earliest period, this becomes apparent. If we would meet on Sunday and take the Lord's Supper and do nothing else, we would have met for the biblical reason. If we gather together on Sunday and we have a stirring sermon and sing a bunch of songs, but don't take the Lord's Supper, we have not met for the New Testament reason. The Lord's Supper in constant rhythm must be in our lives because we constantly need to be reminded that we are sinners saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. And we constantly need to have that occasion to declare we will be in heaven because Jesus went to the cross and we trust that and nothing else. God knows we are physical beings and he's given us these physical means of expressing these truths. Well, let me just close by saying while we're in this world, we're holistic creatures, (laughs) spirit and body And even when we are in this physical world, the physical aspect of our existence has deep spiritual dimensions. Thanks be to God, through the Holy Spirit, we can view it all through eyes of faith. And even though creation doesn't have linguistic skills (laughs) and doesn't have an audible voice, It speaks when we listen with spiritual ears and view it all through spiritual eyes. All nature sings, and round me rings the music of the spheres. I rest me in the thought of rocks and trees and skies and seas, the wonders his hands have wrought. Father, we thank you that you have indeed Provide these means to speak to us and stun us with awe. And at the same time, your Holy Spirit has enabled us, O God, to physically experience death and rebirth and a means whereby you have holily ordained a means that we express our faith through the Lord's Supper. And not only that, God, we thank you for each other. For in this combination of spirit and body, 
we know that in one another's presence we're encouraged in our faith. For that we thank you through Jesus. Amen.